The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra, and my pronouns are she, hers, and we. I'm Safa Master, and my pronouns are him, his, and we. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. Okay, what are we drinking today? Mai Tai time. God, I love this Mai Tai. I know, it's because we have those nice Hawaiian rums. Yeah. So it's one and a half ounces of light rum, one and a half ounces of dark rum, half an ounce of amaretto, an ounce of lime juice, two ounces of triple sec, and an ounce of dark rum. Wow. No, no sodas in it. No, no, no there's or, no juice. Or, no juice. Other than lime juice. Yeah. It's crazy good. And you shake it and then serve it over fresh ice with an orange and a cherry. Yeah. It looks like a Mai Tai. It does. Let's taste it. And it is a Mai Tai. That's just Hawaii. That is Hawaii in a glass. It's Hawaii in a glass. It's beautiful. It really is. Plus, wow. it's a strong drink. It, don't even fuck around with this drink. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good one. This is my favorite... This is my favorite tropical drink, mm-hmm. this particular version. This version of it. Yeah. Like, I've had it with the pineapple juice or the mm-hmm. orange juice base. Nothing meets this. This is, when I discovered this recipe, I was like, oh, my God, that's a real Mai Tai. Like, that's a real one. Yeah. Not a fluffy filler drink. Right. <laughs> Those other drinks taste good, too, but they, they just do. aren't as interesting as this. No, this is really interesting. And if you use really interesting ROMs, I mean, that's the key. Yeah. Well, I think that this is one of our top ten drinks. Obviously. Yes. yes. Today's conversation is brought to you by WeMinder, a behavior chart app for kinky couples like us. Learn more at WeMinder.app. So I read this post on FetLife recently yeah. about yeah. not being submissive enough. And I know that's a conversation I had with you like yes, years ago. Yes, yes, And I was like, you know, we really have to talk to Verity. So I met Verity on Fat Life as under his boot yes. and invited her to the conversation and she was kind enough to agree to come on. Yay. So Verity, welcome to the conversation. Hi, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, Verity. You know, we always begin our conversation by inviting you to share your journey in sexuality. So tell us about how you discovered yourself as a sexual creature and how that evolved into what you're up to today. Oh, goodness. So, I don't know. I think... I think I was probably a sexual creature of some kind all of my life, right? I remember very early on asking my parents, like, if there was a name for people, you know, like me, right, as a as a female identifying person. 
liking other girls and like wishing that like I could be a boy so that I could like other girls because I didn't have words for that at that time and so like that started very young like six-ish years old I would guess and my parents even tell stories of me asking to be tied up as a child like asking to be tied to chairs and things so I feel like the writing was kind of on the wall about who I was going to become very early (laughs) And then it just, it continued to evolve. And so by middle school, I had adopted the term bisexual. That was the term that I I had available to me at that point that best kind of described who I was and developed weird relationships with my friends where we would like make floggers out of rubber tubing and electrical tape and, and hit each other with it, like random stuff like that. And then by high school, I was literally wearing collars and leashes to school and handcuffs on my belt. And I didn't really fully comprehend what that meant. But like, I was very drawn to it and very drawn to like my friends leading me around on a leash and like handcuffing myself to my friends or being handcuffed to picnic tables outside or whatever. Like these things were very appealing to me, even though I didn't really know what it meant yet. And so I kind of navigated through that and eventually came to the term pansexual when that became available as I was an adult. And then I started dipping my toes into the whole kink scene when I was about 19. So that'd have been like, what, 2008-ish, 2007-ish, right in there. So, and then it's just continued. I started out still kind of more on the shallow vanilla end. And now I'm really into like CNC and edge play and doing all of the things and trying all of the anything new that comes across me. I'm like, I want to try everything. So that's kind of where we are now. So as you're coming up to where you are now in that phase of trying stuff, did you experience any relationships or dynamics that you were involved with? I know you talked about friends, but I'm strictly interested in kink dynamics that were in that early phase as you lead to now? Yeah, so I've had a few dynamics. Right now I stick to to play partners for the most part. I prefer like ongoing play partners. But in the early days I did do kind of more dynamic hopping. Like I was very kind of serial monogamous doing that. And so the post that you referred to was about a specific dynamic that I had early on. It would have been my third dynamic, I believe. Yeah, so I've had mostly doms. I've had one daddy, and that's in most of my experience. I was mostly trained as a slave early on, and that was the beginning of my kink experience was was doing that. So the person that I wrote the post about, I was actually part of a harem with. Got it. Okay, so just so our listeners understand, so talk about the context of being trained as a slave. How does that occur for you? So for me, it was definitely having a 24-7 near, very near total power exchange dynamic. And it involved a lot more high protocol situations and involved more ritual and was a lot stricter than what like some of my submissive friends were doing. And so it had a lot more involved with like speech restrictions and position training and eyeline restrictions and all of those types of things. The way that I interact with my partner was very different than how they were interacting with theirs. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was definitely more the bulk of what I was doing. And so it did look a lot more strict and a lot more regimented and it had a lot more rules and protocols in place. So I get the rules and protocols. I guess what I'm interested in knowing more about is the slave part. Like your agency. Your agency. Yeah. 
So I've never actually identified as a slave. I still identify as a submissive, but that was kind of the training that I got. So I actually didn't have really much. We had our negotiations up front when we negotiated our dynamic and we talked about what my limits were at that point going into the relationship. And then kind of once that happened, it was no longer my decision. I was pretty much property at that point and I was owned. And so my dominant partner pretty much made decisions about nearly everything in my life. It was not a total power exchange, but it was pretty close. Like he didn't have control of my money or that kind of thing, but like everything else in my life, what I was wearing, where I was going, who I was spending time with, he had approval on all of that. And we agreed to that up front that he would do that. Just one more question on this. Was this really like a live-in situation where you're 24-7? We were unfortunately not living together, but I was essentially, I called it on call. So he could call or text me at any time, day or night, and I was supposed to respond. So I didn't silence my cell phone when I went to bed or anything like that. Like I was available to him anytime he wanted and he had access to me. He could come to my home anytime he wanted. Got it. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that because that's really fascinating. What I'm really interested in is the post that you wrote about being submissive enough. So that rang true for me as an experience that many women probably have and probably male submissives too. So why don't you read the post and that way we have context for it and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my post was just called, as you said, not submissive enough. I had a partner once who liked to hold this notion of not being submissive enough over my head. It became a weapon used against me. Sharp and jagged, it would cut deeply. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I served, what I endured, or how many firm boundaries I made flexible, I was never good enough. It came to a point I questioned everything about myself, how I sat, spoke, dressed, moved through a space, till eventually I became utterly depressed and withdrawn. The only option was to be seen but not speak, get all of my clothes pre-approved, obey the first time with nothing more than a yes sir, though it was better if I anticipated his needs and didn't need to be asked in the first place, continuously seek out new ways to show my devotion, all while never calling attention to myself in any way. Even years after my dynamic with him ended, he occasionally would pop up and remind me that I'd never find another dominant because I do not act submissive enough. In fact, according to his watchful eye, I was worse off than ever, having grown too dominant since our parting. Even though I thought I'd healed from the ordeal not long ago, someone casually said they assumed I was a dominant and it crushed me. Those old words bubbled up and echoed around in my skull. Not submissive enough. Not submissive enough. You'll never find another dominant. I excused myself and drove my car a couple of streets over and wept. I know the person meant no harm, but still my thoughts raced as I tried to figure out what I had done wrong to make someone not see me as the person I am or the being in the role I crave more than anything. I spoke with a friend about it. Admittedly, she is a dominant, and I worried she'd take offense to how much it hurt me to be identified in a role she treasures, but she wasn't. She was very kind and understanding and said something to me that has made a world of difference. It is my hope that in sharing it, it may help someone else. Your submission is not performative and it is not owed to anyone. If no one ever sees you submit, but the person you choose to give that to, it doesn't make you less of a submissive. Now, I shouldn't have needed someone to tell me this, but I desperately did. My submissiveness isn't owed to anyone. And even if no one ever looks at me and thinks sub, it doesn't make it less true. It doesn't make it less of an integral part of my being. It hurt to not feel seen for who I am at the time, but I'm glad that now I have released that pressure on myself. 
that if I am seen as dominant, that it isn't a bad thing. It isn't someone saying I'm a bad submissive. All the female identifying dominance in my life are such beautiful, strong, fierce, and confident that it seems silly to me now that I could have ever been hurt by those words, not submissive enough. Don't let anyone define you, your role, or make you feel like you're not good enough because you're not expressing yourself how they think you should. Seriously, fuck anyone that tells you different. And that is it. I love that. I love it. And I'll have to tell you, I identify with it because it took me a while to identify as a switch. But the reality is my submission is very private to Saffir. Saffir experiences my submission. But God knows anyone else does not receive that honor and that privilege and that gift and that that's how I lead my life. And for a long time, I played the being submissive enough game to individuals who were not worthy of my submission, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah, I think what's really what really speaks to me about your writing is that there's an element of your authentic self-expression as a submissive that you just lived into. And the person that you describe as expressing themselves of, around you not being submissive enough wasn't really able to understand who you actually are in reality and not relate to you. And so like, I question their dominance, actually. I question their ability to be authentically themselves. Well, to see you. They probably can't authentically see mm -hmm. themselves. Therefore, if someone can't authentically see themselves, they absolutely cannot see anyone see else. Yeah. So first of all, that's a fabulous writing. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it and that it spoke to you. I mean, like, I wish that it didn't speak to people, but I hope that people get the, the good part out of it, you know, that you don't have to display yourself for other people. Like your submissiveness is not a performance, right? It doesn't belong to anybody. Nobody is owed that part of you. And that was really hard for me to like wrap my head around, especially in the beginning. Like I felt like I was supposed to be on 24 seven, right? Like if I was in a kink space, then I needed to project that submissive right that like ideal quote unquote submissive and and now it's nice to be in a place where it's like actually I can just be me and I can give that to who I deem worthy of it which is not a lot of people <laughs> so like you I keep it pretty pretty private now like I can bottom for a lot of people but submission for me is separate and different than just bottoming no, I get that I think that that's right I think that what you're describing is your self-expression as a submissive, like who you are in reality, right? That's who you actually are. And who you share that with is a choice that you make. It's not like up to somebody else to decide for you whether you should. Not even your dominant. Not even your dominant. Yeah, really, not even your dominant. It really comes down to who you are as an individual and who you choose to share yourself with authentically and see, this is like a big part of what I think is missing in the world of role play. Like, I think role play is great. And I think it's fabulous that people get to experience kink in a role play space. With other partners with other and partners. Yeah, yeah. other, other kinks. Like yeah. you said, bottoming is different than submission. There's nothing wrong with role play. But I think that relationship in kink around dominance and submission is something way different. And actually, we're going to be having a conversation at DomCon in LA about this very 
topic about how authentic self-expression, either in dominance or submission, is different than role play. Well, and I often hear people speak to what I would consider role play, but they're yearning for relationship, right? which are two different things. And they haven't found the bridge yet to connect those, which is a lot of work. That's right. why role play is so easily accessible. If you right. think about sexual urges. I have sexual urges and needs. They need to be met in an immediate way. I have these kinds of play partners. I'm going to elicit that, right? But what if you had a partner that you could experience all of that through? I mean, that's the thing I keep hearing is I have to go to this partner for this and this partner for this. And yet what I hear them keep saying is I'm craving this, but that requires a creation of a dynamic you have to create that right definitely I have a so my last dynamic was I mentioned earlier I had a daddy like sadistic daddies are kind of my jam that's like my zone right there like that's definitely what I go for and so I had him and I was actually very leery because at that point I was still not really sure about daddies when I met him I was like okay well I like you But I'm not sure about the whole daddy thing. Like, that's a little bit weird for me. And I actually had a hard limit when I met him of using the term daddy. I was like, I will never call you that, just so you know. And he's like, that's fine. You can call me whatever you want, as long as you say it with respect. And I was like, okay. And so we moved forward. And I I did not call him daddy for the longest time. And then one day, it just kind of like popped out of my mouth. We'd been together probably seven or eight months at that point. And it just kind of like fell out of my mouth. And I was like, oh no. And I had that moment where I just like wanted to grab it and shove it back in. I'm like, no, how did that happen? But like having those, that that like longer dynamic and being with someone longer, like it really does let you build connection that isn't necessarily always there when you are just hanging out and playing with play partners or doing pickup play. Like I know some people have ongoing play partners that they build fabulous connections with but like having a dynamic I feel like I'm able to like sink into a much deeper place of submission and like pull out of myself like strength and reserves and things that I don't normally have for just a scene if that makes sense like there's a lot more intense connection and devotion there when there's an ongoing dynamic for me that lets me push my boundaries out a lot further and do a lot more than I thought I was capable of. So I totally want to unpack something because I think there is something about sub-shaming and particular different role identification shaming. So I'm trying not to put you on the spot, but I want to ask you because I have my own context. You said you struggled with calling your dominant daddy. So in particular, in your instance, Why was that difficult? Like what connotations were going through your head or ideas or stories that were harnessing you in a way that allowed you to say, hey, I can't call you daddy. And you eventually did, but I don't care about the eventual. What I'm looking at is where you were in the beginning. Okay. So, I mean, we're going to get real vulnerable, I guess, <laughs> I guess here we're, we're going to be new kinds of friends. So for me, I did at that point still struggle with differentiating calling my sexual partner and my dominant partner daddy versus having a parent that I call that, right? So like that was something that was a little bit difficult for me to reconcile and separate 
was how this term was used. And also that I have PTSD and a history of abuse that made that very uncomfortable to me and made it to where I just did not, if he was going to push it, it was going to be a deal breaker, basically. So I just was not ready to engage. Now it's not a problem. But yeah, like you were saying at the beginning, it, it was and that's why it was for me. Like, I don't actually have a problem with age players or anybody that participates in that. I actually identify as a middle now, but it, it was it was a problem then and that wasn't an area that I was playing in then. And so it, it did take me kind of getting to know that part of our community better and then building that relationship where it made it safe for me to be vulnerable with him. And I don't know, in a way he kind of earned his daddy title with me like he didn't just come in and stomp his foot and say well you're going to call me daddy right it was you can do what you need to do in your own time and so I was able to process my own baggage and my own stigma around using that title so first of all thank you for being so authentic in your sharing I mean that's what's amazing about what we do on this pod is when our guests share like this it allows others that are listening to hear themselves in your speaking. And they, they really, that's what really happens when people listen to podcasts, they hear themselves and apply it to their own life. And so you just opened up a whole world for people. So thank you for sharing. And the reason I ask that is because it's fascinating. I, I find it completely fascinating how you view it because it's absolutely not how I viewed it. And it's only because I'm a switch is what I deduce is so when I call Safford daddy, I don't think of a parental figure at any level. Uh, it's an endearing word for me. But where I had trouble with it in just my own head was when I would write things on pictures and things and would say things like, daddy asked me to show flash my tits or whatever. Where I came from was like, oh no, people are going to think I'm a little. And I'm not a fucking little and no disrespect to littles, but I'm not a little at all. Just because I call him daddy doesn't mean I wear diapers and he's changing my diapers. And I was really perplexed by this. Like, how do I see myself? And that was really the other side of me. Because if you think about it, I don't care. By saying daddy to Saffer doesn't bother me in the slightest, like at all. I don't think anything other than this is my dominant who daddy for me is a sensual dominant. He, if you think about paternal care, cares for me and my, my betterment, but also is going to guide me, right? And he was way more experienced at the time when we met, right? On just kink in general and was opening a world to me. So it made sense. But what I was worried about was how everyone else viewed me like, oh, now they're going to think I'm a little or I like to suck on a password. And all of this was like a totally opposite of me because everyone else I'm a dominant to. And so it was a, almost abhorrent to me to say publicly, like, this is what I like, but it is what I like as a submissive with my chosen one. But with everyone else, that is not who I am. I am not. You're not a mommy. I'm not a mommy or I'm not a little to anyone else. I'm not, I'm not your slut. I'm your dominant. And it took a while, but really with my growth in our dynamic, it's been amazing to now freely post and write without that second thought coming into play, because I very much know who I am. If you text me and say, 
yeah, I'd love to suck on your titties too. I'm saying, well, you have to ask my daddy. Basically, because that's the protocol for as a submissive. But if they go on the other side of the fence at any level, I'm immediately switch. And I'm like, no, that's not happening. (laughs) Well, and that's actually really interesting to me that you you say that that was your experience, right? Where it was like, I don't want to be mistaken for this role that isn't mine, which is kind of what I was talking about in my story, like in my piece that I wrote on FetLife was like, I don't have any shade or any problems with female dominance, but someone saying that I, that I came across as a dominant to them was like soul crushing. I was like, what, why would you think that? Like, why would you think that that's who I am? Cause that's not me. And so I think it's that same kind of idea, right. Of not being seen as who you are and having the wrong label put on you. Yeah. Well, I think what's really interesting about this is that I think the part that got my attention in your writing was your true self-expression, right? You actually expressed yourself as a submissive powerfully. Like you were like, I'm proudly submissive. And I thought that was really well conceived and also expressed. And, you know, because I know Lady Petra and her experience with domineering men, for example, I thought that that was a powerful message to people to really get fully the journey that submissives have with their submission and the power that's in choosing a partner to like really gift your sexuality to. And I thought that was the essence of your writing was like, fuck you, I'm submissive. And I I really like that. Well, thank you. That is pretty much how I feel about it at this point. I don't, I don't feel the need to be uh, apologetic anymore about who I am or what I'm into or what I like to do. And so that's it's a very freeing place to be in because that's definitely not where I was when I started or even five years ago. So it's uh, I feel like it's just an ongoing ongoing journey in this in this community, whether it's sexuality or kink or whether we're talking about you know poly or anything. Like all of these things are just constantly evolving for me, and I'm always just figuring it out as I go. But it's nice to be in a place now where I'm comfortable enough in my skin and my roles and my kinks to like just do that and be okay with it and not really feel concerned what other people are going to do with it anymore. No, but you make a really good point, right? Like that's the point of being human. Like as human beings, we all live inside of stories. We always have our story front and center. And so we filter everything through a story we make up about our own journey, right? We actually, the way you wrote that, I read in the writing how you were overcoming your story and just getting into your self-expression and actually being like completely authentically yourself. And I think that that's the most powerful place to come from as a sexual creature, because this is it. Like, this is your life. This is the one life you have. There's no other it's like, this is it. And you might as well fucking be authentic. Right. Well, I mean, what's the alternative? I think that that's, yeah, what you're saying is totally accurate. Like you just need to be, authentic and being yourself because you do only have this one shot at it so like the choice is go out and do your thing and enjoy it or what sit at home and wish you were and not be as happy like that's kind of where I got to be within myself and I finally just decided that that wasn't gonna cut it for me anymore well I acknowledge you for being somebody who broke through the matrix to find your real (laughs) self so good for you so well done thank you <laughs> there's only a few of us that have taken the right pill <laughs> man yeah. i think i had to take the wrong one a few times yeah 
Verity, thank you so much for coming on the pod and having this conversation. It's been really enlightening. I was happy to be here. Thanks again for having me. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Cheers!